Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Welcome to Author Voices On Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book was inspired initially by a conversation the author had with a good friend on the subject of autobiographies, which has been a favourite read of his since childhood. The title of the book is A Journey to God Beyond Christianity, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome the author, John P. Birchall. Welcome, John. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. Now, let's first of all start by asking you to tell us a little bit of the inspiration that led to you writing this book. Tell us the story behind the story. The story is that I led a very fractured and complicated life before I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I was in a meeting and I was sharing... And I realized that I was trying to explain a very busy life in 15 minutes. And I I had difficulty with it. So that happened on a March of one year. And I put the title down when I came home from the meeting. And then it wasn't until the following November, I attended Sai Baba's birthday celebrations. And the next morning, I woke up and wrote for 18 hours straight. And that was the book. Now, when you were writing the book, you must have had a particular reader, a particular person in mind as the reader. Who would you say the book is for and why? It was a cathartic exercise in that I was trying to explain a busy life in a short period as I've already described. But mostly I I was diagnosed bipolar. So if it helps anybody be it an alcohol sufferer or an addiction sufferer or a bipolar sufferer, any one person and my job is done. And that conveniently takes me to my next question. Now, it's obviously a book that most definitely um, has something for the reader to learn or take away. But if you could choose one thing that you feel is important for the reader to take away from reading this book, what would that one thing be? That God exists, and to cut a long story short, we are God. If you want to find out more, the end of the book, well, Derek O'Neill is a friend of mine. He was offered $500 million by three investors in New York following his publication of his book, More Truth Will Set You Free. He's well known in the U.S., you can Google him, and he explains in a different way everything that Swami says. How would you say the book is? It differs from other similar books. What would you say sets it apart from the crowd? I'm Irish. I graduated from Brown University. I spent a lot of time in Japan. I got around. So people have told me, John, you should really go on the radio because your, your book is inspiring. And talking about, you mentioned your travels there. Is there one particular place where the story takes place? And also, 
When in your life um, does this story take place? Or is it throughout your life? Tell us a little more about when and where the book Really, really the book ends where it begins, and that's with Sai Baba in India. Tell us a little more about your time in India. I've been to India seven times. I stayed at the ashram for the first five times. Then I stayed outside for the last time, which was last Christmas, for three months. I learned three things. In the spirit world, there is no religion. There's only one God. Two, that we are spiritual beings having a human existence. Three, we are from spirit. We come from an experience here. We go back to spirit. It's contrary to what most people think, that they are afraid of death. There is no death. And as I explained already, the books by John Harry Turan, the trilogy, when you can walk on water, take the boat, morning has been all night coming, journey in the fields of forever, explains it adequately. Now let's go back to the time when you sat down and decided to, to write this book. Did you face any particular challenges uh, as a writer or did you find the whole experience pretty much uh, straightforward? You see, I lived my life very well and I spent a lot of time, I spent from March to November subconsciously wondering how I was going to get my life onto a piece of paper. And really, Rick, it took me 18 hours. I just sat down, 4 o'clock, Saturday morning, after Swami's birthday on the Friday. By Monday morning, it was complete. Sounds like that was something of a rewarding experience. How, how did it feel when well, I you, you completed it? As I mentioned, I followed up with a second draft called Living with Bipolar and How to Temper It. So there is a subsequent to this. Bipolar is something that is more often than it used to be mentioned in the media. How has it, shall, shall we say, moulded your life, moulded your existence, and, and how has it changed you as a person? They say there's 1% of people in Ireland that are bipolar, possibly 1% to 2% in the US. So there's 6 million sufferers. It's too complicated a subject if anybody really understands bipolar, it used to be called manic depression. Meditation has been so important for me, and also medication, which has led to weight gain and makes me a bit slow. So I'm heavier than I would like to be. Olanzapine is the chemical that they've prescribed for me. And as I said, weight gain is a challenge, but mentally it's, it's helped me focus. What changes have you made to your life since being diagnosed with bipolar, what advice, if I can ask, would you give readers to your book or, or listeners to our show that may be experiencing bipolar? It started with sobriety. I had to get off alcohol, and I did that successfully, thank God, one day at a time. It's really the recognition of a higher power and, and meditation. And for me, the higher power is Satya Sai Baba. And that's what I'm hoping somebody will take away from this book. Personally, I think there's a movie, possibly, I don't know if it's to do with me or Sai Baba, possibly three movies. It's a short book. It's only 56 pages. So I would encourage your audience to view it. $3.99 from an e-book. It's good value. Uh, can we look forward to uh, a sequel to this book or something completely new? 
Definitely. I'm working on a third book. As I said, I already have a second draft in print. I'm not sure whether to get it published in Ireland or to continue with Author House for the UK or for the US or both, but I'm working on a third book. But really, I'd love to get a movie out of the book. If I get a movie out of the book and I have a defined audience, that would be great. I'm going back to India in June. And as I mentioned to you before the introduction, I'm going to Los Angeles in April. So if any of your audience wants to meet me there, I'll be there between April, it's April 22nd, 23rd, Saturday and a Sunday. Give us just a little taster of this second book that you're working on. Well, the second draft is complete, Rick, and it's really a, it's a rewrite. It's probably more personal. It's more to do with bipolar rather than Swami and alcohol. The third book is really a handiwork for living and really, uh, again, it's personal. It's in development. I, there is a structure, but I haven't written it yet. Really, if, if, there, if you have any readers or an audience that's a, a, interested in the subject of recovery, higher power, self-mastery, I really recommend Derek O'Neill's book, More Truth Will Set You Free. Now, finally, in closing, is there anything that you would like to add that you feel is important for our listeners and readers to your book to know that we haven't covered so far? Believe me. God exists. It's not Santa Claus. He knows everything before and after. When I was speaking to you just before we came on air, you mentioned that you're going to be attending uh, an event. So Los Angeles Book Fair in University of Southern California, Saturday the 22nd, Sunday the 23rd of April. I'll be at the Author House booth. Probably not all the hours, but I certainly will be there. And if anybody wants to meet me, I'd be very happy. Thank you, John. Many thanks once again to my guest, the author John P. Burchell, who was talking about his new book, A Journey to God Beyond Christianity, which is published by Author House and is available direct from the publisher at authorhouse.com forward slash bookstore and all good bookstockists. This is Rick Bell for Togonet Radio. Thank you for listening. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. The title of the book, Christ and Caribbean Culture, a collection of essays on Caribbean Christology and its pastoral implications and the author is Gabriel 
Malzair. He's also bishop of the island on which he lives, Dominica. Hello, Bishop. Welcome to Author Talk. Well, thank you very much. Great to have you with us. Now, we're going to talk about a very interesting approach to better help us understand Christ, Jesus Christ. And as you put it, you believe Jesus is equally the Savior of the least as he is of the greatest. So all walks and colors and uh, status throughout the world But you're focusing on the Caribbean church, and you're trying to, as you put it, unravel the significance of the Christ event in the Caribbean context. So help us understand what, in general, Ray, at this moment, what that means in this Caribbean context. Well, uh, first of all, um, it is important to realize that, of course, we all, as Christians, uh, we regard Christ as our Savior. Every Christian across the globe consider Christ as a savior. And therefore, if he is the savior of one part of the world, he has to be a savior of the other part of the world. But how does a person within an ethnic setting, within a cultural setting, understand this Christ as his savior? Uh, on the basis of what we call the incarnation, the fact that God became a man, like us. It is indicative of the fact that God wanted to identify himself with humanity. So therefore, this, this, uh, the fact of, uh, of the incarnation made Christ part of us. But every culture has to understand Christ within the context. And it is, it is an attempt to unravel that understanding, that theory, that, um, to put flesh onto that idea that Christ is the Savior of every single person on the face of the earth. And in that regard, I think he has to take our shape, just as he took the shape of the, the Palestinian, you know, he took the shape of the Jews, he took the shape. Therefore, if he is to be my Christ within the context of the Caribbean, he has to find a place within the Caribbean. So that's what I really mean by the contextualization of, of, of Jesus. Well, right at the beginning of your book, you pose the question, who is the Caribbean man? So why is that important as we unravel this context? Yes. You know, uh, I believe that for Christ to be our Savior, it is to help us develop and accept our own self-worth. If we are to be saved, because salvation in itself is a very positive thing. It is, it is the destiny of the human person. And a person cannot be, cannot be saved if he or she does not know him or herself. So I think the, the, the uh, contextualization of Christ is an attempt to help us understand more fully who we are as a human person. So... In, in, in helping us in, in understanding who he is within our context gives us a sense of, a, great, a greater sense of self-worth. We saw what he did in, in his ministry among the poor in, 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 um, during his ministry, that he made them feel at home. He made them feel wanted. He made them feel, uh, you know, that he had come for, for them. And so too, within the context of the Caribbean, 
the Caribbean man and the Caribbean woman must feel that Christ is for them. Before we go on, Bishop, tell us a little bit about your background. I am from the island of um, St. Lucia. I was born in St. Lucia, and of course, I studied in various parts of the world, in, in Trinidad, where we did seminary, and then I studied in Chicago. I did master's in, in theology in Chicago, then in Rome as well, and I taught at the seminary for five years in Trinidad. Um, then, of course, um, I, and then in 2002, I became bishop of the Diocese of Roseau in Dominica. Um, anything else would you like to know? No, that, that appreciate that. It kind of gives us a better understanding of uh, where you're coming from, from your life experiences. Yes. So let's talk about the book. It's broken down into three parts, and let's, mm-hmm. let's I guess, we'll kind of give us a little summation of each part. The first part you title The Challenges for the Catholic Christian in the New Millennium. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, of course, um, the subtopics there are uh, one of, of relevance and the question of, of authenticity and the, uh, the, the one of evangelization. Um, basically, it is um, relating in the Caribbean setting uh, what are the, what I'm pointing out some of the challenges that we have in, uh, in, in, in unraveling the, the Christian message and first of all, I'm, I'm basically saying that in order for the, the, the Christian message to, to penetrate the lives of people, it must be relevant to their lives. Then the question of authenticity, that uh, a Christian is called to be authentic, authentic in every respect, in terms of practice, in terms of belief, and in terms of conviction. And, of course, it, uh, the third part talks about evangelization as a mission, what we are called to do. And, and of course, the three subtopics are, are connected. If we are relevant, if our message is relevant, and if we are authentic Christians, then evangelization becomes easy. Because it is the, 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 um, the portrayal of the, the, the message, which is not simply words, but testimony. And, of course... Uh, relevance and, and authenticity uh, goes right into that to, to help us realize that our function as, as Christians is to be a witness, not to just speak about witnessing, but to be a witness. Uh, so uh, there's an interrelationship between relevance, um, authenticity, and evangelization. Part two, you title Christ and Ethnicity in the Caribbean. Give us a little summary of part two. And so, therefore, it gets into, into the crux of the matter. That, um, again, it, it, it tries to develop the whole um, understanding of the Christ event. That um, uh, we are to understand the whole aspect of Christology. Who Christ is in, a, in, in, in the context of a Caribbean setting. In the Caribbean, we have several different races. So we have East Indian de- people from East Indian descent. We have people from African descent, of course, Caucasian, and a mixture. The Caribbean is a conglomerate. It, 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 it belongs to a lot of different kinds of people. But each of those persons or, or groups of persons who are Christians regard Christ as the Savior. So it is an attempt to unravel, to unravel 
what that means for the various groups. And then I point out to the fact that, yes, if we are to, to understand it, that Christ has to be the savior of each particular group in the particular context. So the question of, and again, I, I mentioned very strongly the aspect of the incarnation, which I spoke on earlier. The reality of the incarnation is the fact that Christ came for humanity and Christ came for every individual person and every group of persons. And within that, you are, seems to be, you seem to be helping us better understand our self-worth, no matter what the color of our skin. And, and the, the, the reason why I, I point to that is the fact that we come from, especially the East Indian, this people of this East Indian descent and the people of African descent in, in, uh, in the Caribbean, we come from a colonial background. Uh, the, the, the Caribbean was colonized and we, there was um, the experience of slavery and indentureship. And uh, these experiences were, were laced with negativities. Um, slavery is a negative word in the, in the Caribbean and in many other parts of the world, which means that there was a dehumanization of people. Now, if Christ has come to bring life to the fullest, it means there has to be, a, uh, in other words, a rehumanization of people. So that's what, to my mind, salvation is for a person within the context of, of, of the Caribbean or any part of the world where there is um, oppression or any, or, or that, or any form of, of um, dehumanization. Uh, and therefore, um, uh, helping us to realize that it is a process, an ongoing process of people gaining greater and greater and greater self-worth. I think, to my mind, in a very practical way, that's what salvation is about. We know salvation is, is an eventual thing in the, in the eschaton, in the, in, the, in, the, in the other world, but within the context of the world in which we live, if we are to say that I am saved, what does it mean practically? that I am coming to a greater realization of who I am, who I am as, uh, as a black person, who I am as a white person, who I am as a brown person, or an Indian, whoever I may be, you know, how I am becoming and that leads better, better knowledge of myself. Uh -huh. I'm sorry, yes. Uh, and that leads us right into part three, which is titled Towards a Caribbean Christian Civilization. You've been talking about already some of that. Right, right, right. And, of course, I, I, um, this chapter, it spans over the entire um, gamut of, of, of the Caribbean experience. And I looked at it from a theological point of view, uh, from an ethical point of view, uh, from a political point of view as well. And to, to, to look at the, the Christian, what, what we would regard as a Christian civilization, what are the, the tenets of a Christian civilization? And, of course, in that, um, in that chapter, I talked about the history of the Caribbean, the church and colonialism and that experience, the culture of the Caribbean, race and color in the Caribbean, what, what that, that means. And then, of course, the effect of history on the Caribbean as a people. Well, Bishop, as we wrap up our discussion about your book, Christ and Caribbean Culture, tell us a little bit about your theological reflection on, as you put it, bamboo bursting. 
Oh, right. Well, uh, this is a tradition um, we have in the Caribbean that takes place around Christmas time. And um, I liken it to the announcement of, well, of course, it is in preparation for Christmas. It is like, um, um, as, as is reflected in, in, the, in the text, it is the announcement of a great king coming. Uh, I liken it to, to um, the, in the traditions of the past when a great king was entering a city, there was, um, you know, persons with, with, with uh, horns to blow and to announce his coming. So the bamboo bursting that we have in the Caribbean is um, we use a, a, a bamboo um, trunk and uh, we use kerosene or some oil to create a, a fire and uh, uh, we, we, we ignite it and it makes a very, very a booming sound. And uh, as I said, since it is connected with, with the coming of Christ, the, the preparation for the coming of Christmas, I see it as, as um, a, a, a way of the Caribbean people um, announcing the, the coming of Christ for the celebration of Christmas. Right in this cultural context. In the cultural context, yes, certainly. We've uh, been... An interesting little piece that everybody would like to read. We've been listening to Bishop Gabriel Malzair. He is the author of his book, Christ and Caribbean Culture. Bishop, what's the best way to get your book? It is, of course, online. It's um, uh, through Author House, and also we could um, check on the, the, the website, uh, CaribbeanChristology.com. You can also be on Kindle. And, of course, they could um, um, download it and pay a small price for, for, for this. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you very much. All the best. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's words you never heard. Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host, Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, The Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them. And this is book one of the Integrity series. Introducing the Colemans, this is Laura T. Coleman. And we'll refer to her as Sister Coleman because this is a book of faith. Welcome to the program. Hi, Jay. It's nice to meet you. What well, pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for having me on. This is a short read, 54 pages. It is dealing 
primarily with uh, integrity in relationships. Is that the best way to describe this? You have written this book, and you have plans to release others in this series. What was the motivation behind it? Why did you decide you wanted to share your thoughts and inspiration behind the integrity of the upright? The desire to write this book came over 10 years ago, actually during a period when I was a stay-at-home mom, a wife and a mother, during one of my daily prayers and devotional times. You were in a prayer time, and this idea, this inspiration came to you. What was, what was it that uh, brought this on? Well, actually, I was just transitioning spiritually because I had gone through some health issues after working on my job. But I had been speaking to the Lord and taking notes, and I was suddenly prompted, and I started typing. And though I was never able to pass any typing test good enough to get a job, even after serving in the United States Navy for many years. Uh-huh. But now I was typing like I was working for the president. Honestly, I don't remember thinking about ever writing a book. I never even considered myself an author and didn't know where to begin or what would become of it. I just knew at the time when I should have been out pounding the pavement for work. I had an overwhelming press to write this message, and I wanted to be obedient. And what what is that message? You talk about the integrity of the upright, and as I was skimming through the book or looking at it, I got the impression that uh, this was a message for guys. Is it only a message for guys, or is this uh, one for men and women who are single or maybe even uh, married? The book appeals to anyone who has a desire to grow closer to the Lord, who seeks after truth and righteousness. God's Word, through God's Word alone, yet it's simple in delivery and tone. Any believer, babes in Christ, seasoned saints, would enjoy this book and be able to relate to it, not just guys. It's practical, and it can be applied to their everyday lives. What is the thing that you want uh, people to take away from your work? I want readers to think about integrity, men and women, and realize that it's a choice and that you can't separate it from your relationship with God. In fact, it's a good indicator of where you are in your faith walk. You can't say you love the Lord, fear and honor Him, but lack integrity in the very things you say and do every day. Again, it's a choice, and it's not just for men, but for women as well, and not just those that are married, which shows a couple on the front of the book, but it's for those even considering marriage and mothers and fathers. The Lord said obedience is better than sacrifice. And while we're only obedient when we adhere to his principles according to his written word. When you are observing church members, non-church members in this integrity area, I noticed one thing about dating that you had mentioned in your book. What are your thoughts about that? What what should, uh, if I was a single man and I was dating a girl or dating a young lady, What should be my approach? I know the word integrity is there, and also you have founded this on Scripture, or I based this on Scripture. What do you think is the first step I need to take as a, say, a single male that's uh, that's dating a a girl or a lady? Well, now, Jay, you're getting into book five, Wilt (laughs) Thou Be Made Whole? Uh. And I just want to read just a little bit from that, not too much. Because in book one of The Integrity, I'm just reading this page one from book five of The Integrity series, which is entitled, Wilt Thou Be Made Whole? But the first, when you open on to page one, it says developing wholeness of self. That's where you want to start. And that scripture reads, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach. Ecclesiastes 12 and 1. So you just want to go back to God, and that will come, you will learn 
with the answer to that question in book five of the integrity series wilt thou be made whole that's the first thing you should be think of i mean you're dating a girl and the hope is that you're contemplating marriage because god said he who finds a wife finds a good thing so i would just encourage you to get my book five of the integrity series but of course i would like for you to start with book one the integrity of the upright shall guide them you have um, one of the, the the paragraphs that grabbed my attention, which I thought was appropriate to to also the subject we've just uh, broached. In uh, in your book, you have uh, have written this again. Integrity is moral, good in conduct or character, specifically sexual virtuous uprightness. Therefore, integrity is noted in single men who, and you have this in bold print, pay their own Come rent and sleep under their own roofs. This includes men who refrain from promiscuous lifestyles. So you have uh, have hit that pretty solidly. And have you had any people respond to that? What was their reaction when they read that? Well, considering this is, book is just being released this past summer, I haven't really gotten it out there. That's why I'm grateful for this radio interview so that the word can get out of the books. So hopefully when men read that, they will you know, think about their own lifestyles and, you know, but also refer to the word of God that's given there, you know, and the integrity of the upright should guide them. And if that's a moral issue, living with someone that's not, you're not married to, then again, this is going to take you back to God because you're talking, you're talking about, um, now you're getting into adultery and see, that's another word with God. It's not me. And that's what I want people to understand too, that a as I was writing, God was giving me the word. This is not Sister Coleman. This is all word from God, because he said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And if that person is not your wife, then you should not be sleeping with them. I think that's living, that's good. That's good advice on a lot of levels. That's good advice on many levels. Uh, there, there is. Uh, I think when you have a, a physical attraction or connection with someone, as you've described, you also, from a spiritual standpoint, have a spiritual connection which is uh, is polluted. It's not God's uh, direction for their lives. Is that the way to describe that? Right. You can say that, but it but make it clear too that it only becomes polluted when you become. Re- uh, connected to that person spiritually, start sleeping with someone prior to marriage. Right. That's where the pollution comes in. When you begin to sin, when you begin to lust after somebody, because even God said, even before you move in, if you lust after a person that you're not married to, you know you've already committed adultery in your heart. But if you seek God first and have it in your mind, you want a wife, and then you go to God, you know, and learn the things of God through His Word then he'll lead you, you know, first of all, he'll let you know if that's the person that you're supposed to be married to. Right. And hopefully you'll get to understand, okay, if this is not the person I'm supposed to be with, I definitely don't want to be sleeping with them, and you definitely shouldn't be just sleeping with someone for your own gratification with no intent to marry them. You have also, you also are described as an evangelist. Uh, are you considered a pretty serious lady, or uh, are you also a fun guy? I mean, actually a fun gal. Oh, yes, I'm funny, too, if you ask my children or anybody <laughs> I'm, I'm around. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm funny as well. But, I mean, with me, God takes precedence over everything. So depending on the circumstances or the venue where I am, that's the Laura Coleman or the Deacon Col- Deaconess Coleman even or Evangelist Coleman. 
that's the person you're going to get. And when you when you, on where I am when, when you wrote this book, you must have had a I would call it a target audience, but uh, an audience that you felt would respond to the contents of the book and benefit from it, maybe as a teaching tool or as an instructional tool. What did you have in mind? Who did you think this would appeal to, and why? Well, as I've written, the book appeals to anyone who has a desire to grow closer to the Lord, who seeks after truth and righteousness, finding truth. The only way is through the Word of God, because He is the truth, the way, and the light. You've described this as as part of the faith walk. And uh, if integrity is missing, it's uh, something that a person needs to address and make a choice and take action, correct? Exactly, because that's the very, one of the foundations of having a relationship with God, because of who He is. He's holy. He's righteous. He's truth. And without integrity, how can you be true? Because integrity is a part of being honest. It's, it's relevant to your character. And our character has to line up with the character as Christians. Because through God is Jesus Christ. We, we grow through his son Jesus. Absolutely. Those who are believers embrace okay. that idea, that concept. You have, uh, have written a book that is unique, I think, but... I also understand there may be books in the marketplace that are similar to this. Do you think your book is unlike others that have dealt with similar topics, or, or is this something that is set apart from others that are written? I truly doubt if there are any books like this with similar topics. If there are, this one is set apart because at the time of the original writing, I was not an author, but merely a humble housewife, a mom, spending my days and nights praying and studying God's Word until I was inspired by him through his Holy Spirit to set the captives free. A, a lofty goal in writing any book is to uh, help others in their journey, and in this case, uh, their spiritual journey. This is a, a book that is unique again, 54 pages, the title of which is The Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them, and it's book one of the Integrity series. I love the word integrity anyway. It's something that I uh, try to live my life by, integrity, and certainly associate myself with people who have integrity. My author, Laura T. Coleman, Sister Coleman, my listeners will want to get a copy of your series. How do they do so? Authorhouse.com. And I just want to mention that it's one of five books on integrity. And I just, Jay, if you would allow me just to name the titles of the other books. Absolutely. Share it. Okay. Again, book one, The Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them. And book two, Train Up a Child in the Way He Should Go. Book three, Nevertheless, I Have a Few Things Against You. Book four, Provide Things Honest. And book five, Wilt Thou Be Made Whole. And again, these books are all on the subject of integrity, and they were all written to convey the Word of God in hopes of leading others in their relationship with the Lord through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I just want to say thank you, Jay, for giving me this opportunity my pleasure. to share my book. My pleasure. And again, uh, listeners, this series would be excellent as a Bible study or a uh, teacher's guide maybe for your class if you're teaching. Uh, again, this is the first in the series, The Integrity of the Upright Shall Guide Them, book one of the Integrity series, my author, Laura T. Coleman. Thank you again, Laura, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay, for having me. My, pl you. my pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.